Let's see what the stew has for us today. Hello, and welcome to the Gnomecast. You may be wondering where And is at. Well, And is currently resetting traps and erasing evidence of a certain episode of the podcast. So you're stuck with me today, Jared the Review Gnome. Today, I thought we would have an interview with some of the fine producers of one of the products that I have recently reviewed on Gnome Stew. So today we have Mike Olson and Morgan Ellis, who worked on Shadow of the Century, a Fate Core product. Hey. So if you don't mind, Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, okay. My name is Mike Olson. I previously worked on a number of other projects for Evil Hacks, including Fate Core, Fate Accelerated, and Atomic Robo. And uh, before that, I did some work with Arc Dream on the Fate edition of the Kerberos Club and oh, Legends of Anglaire for Cubicle 7. That was my first gig. I was a system developer on Shadow of the Century, too, and uh, wrote some material. So I've kind of been all over the place. Awesome. And I definitely have a few of those products for sure backed up on my hard drive that I've looked at many times. Morgan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Morgan Ellis. I worked on a lot of uh, Dresden file stuff for um, Grievel Hat and then have been kind of a an evil haberdasher. So I've run a lot of games for Evil Hat at uh, conventions and things like that. And uh, I've just been sort of on the periphery on a couple of products like Atomic Robo and a few other things. I was I was the one who didn't tell Mike about Atomic Robo until he discovered he'd had this super secret RPG project with it. So that was fun. <laughs> I didn't tell him how awesome it was. Thanks again for that. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> It was my fault. <laughs> and then, yeah. So then I was also uh, got tapped to do Shadow of the Century, the follow-up to Spirit of the Century. That is great. And Mike, how would you summarize Shadow of the Century? Uh, Shadow is 80s pulp, whereas Spirit of the Century was 20s pulp. Shadow is 80s pulp. So all the cool 80s uh, movies and cheesy 80s TV shows that we like, that's what Shadow is. It's all that stuff thrown together. It's it's A-Team and MacGyver and Big Trouble in Little China and anything else from that that general genre of like action-adventure from the 80s. And it takes the timeline from Spirit of the Century and fast-forwards it, you know, 60 years into 1984. That is awesome. Morgan, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, not really. Just that there's a, there were a few other sort of influences, like, um, so adventure fiction in the 80s, right? The, the pulps of the 30s and 20s and 30s. And there was this like brief thing where, you know, all these weird sort of action men's novels that were there in the 80s. And that was kind of another sort of a hidden thing or a hidden little uh, inspiration <laughs> for Shadow. <laughs> I also I definitely saw several influences that at least reminded me of uh, Buckaroo Banzai in some oh, places. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The all the. All the uh, movies and TV shows that, that were around, the weird sci-fi, the weird, you know, everything in your video store, right? <laughs> All those movies are available. So how long would you say it took working on this? And how long were each of you uh, working on this uh, project? Uh, Morgan, would you care to go into that first? We talked about that a little bit earlier. Yeah, we did. Um, so I guess the Fate Kickstarter, uh, the Fate Core Kickstarter, which, was, which Shadow was a part of, ended in December of 2013. And then I am a little bit unsure as to how long it took to before we actually got started on Shadow of the Century. Because Shadow was an idea, but it wasn't going to be a product, I think, until the very end of the Kickstarter, where it's like, okay, if everything else funds, then we get Shadow. <laughs> and uh, so I was... Mike, you were... Do you remember when you were brought in on that? Because I was brought in after you. So. Yeah, I... Gosh, I feel like it was around... 
was when after Atomic Robo came out, because I don't think I was. I remember working on Atomic Robo and Fake Core at the same time, but not worrying about Shadow yet. So I think it would have been around twenty, sometime in twenty fourteen, late twenty fourteen. Sounds right. Because I know that initially we were talking about you know using skills or approaches or modes like that was a that was a thing that was a possibility. So I think it was around then. And also I noticed that Morgan's name was not attached to this. And I said, wait a minute, you can't do this game without Morgan. It's a game he was born to write. Morgan's <laughs> a walking encyclopedia of all things 80. So like it would have been criminal and uh, a much, much lesser product if, uh, if Morgan hadn't been brought on board. So I'm glad that that happened because it was like, literally, if you know Morgan, like this is, this is the game that he should be working on. So it was perfect. So, but yeah, I, I think it was in development for at least like four years a long time and we went through a lot of different iterations on mechanics and I can't speak to the setting, you know, fiction side that'll that's Morgan, but I know mechanically we kept reiterating and going over it again and again, like how do we want to do this? And you know, it was me and Brian Engard and Rob Donnie first and all of us were like mechanics guys and we all just want to try a new thing every few months. So it, it took a while to actually settle in. Mm-hmm. It's actually one of the things that I have really liked because I've reviewed several uh, Fate products now. And one of the things that I really like is that while they're good at emulating the setting that they're trying to show, there's also usually some interesting mechanical twists that are a little bit different between one to another that really make it, it, it's interesting on multiple levels on how it runs as a setting and also how it's adding new mechanics to the overall system. Well, if you're talking about the Fate worlds, that's part of the mandate there. Every one of those has to have some little mechanical gimmick or hook of some kind that you could pull out of it and use in something else. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I enjoy as a system developer, making sure that that's in there somewhere. Like none of these can just be, mm-hmm. you know, vanilla, this uses fate. Like it's all has to be, you have to have some little widget thing and the shadow's got those in spades. So, Oh yeah, definitely. So why would you say the eighties and not some other decade? Uh, Mike, would you like to go first on this? Uh, I want Morgan to go first because <laughs> again, <laughs> Morgan is a, much more authoritative source of this. I think he's going to be able to give you a better answer. All right. Why the 80s, Morgan? Well, I think the 80s for a couple of reasons. One, it's because that's when, as, you know, sort of young teenage RPG players, a lot of us who were involved in the project got started, right? That was our, that's when we came up and that's what we were used to watching. And, you know, that the 80s informed us in a big way. So, you know, certainly much more than the 20s and 30s do because we weren't around then. <laughs> but um, yeah, the 80s, the 80s were chosen largely also, I think, because it was just sort of really hitting into the zeitgeist of, of what people were excited about and going, yeah, man, the 80s, right? You know how decades sort of always have comebacks about 30 years afterwards or yeah. thereabouts. And it was really hitting with the 80s was like, yeah, remember all those things? Yeah, those were cool. <laughs> and plus, you know, it's like Hollywood. All the executives who were excited about that stuff are, when they were kids are now writing the checks at the produ- at these studios and they're able to make it. So that's why we have all these old properties coming back because let's tap that nostalgia button. <laughs> but I think also the 80s worked in a way that the action and the sort of pulp 80s action really fit the themes we wanted to explore. You know, they really wanted, they really fit the fight in the man and, you know, do being heroes, even if it was dark, even if it was gritty, you were still a hero in the 80s, right? You were fighting against bad guys. And I think being able to do that, and in a way that, you know, the 70s and 90s, they could work, but there were 
we didn't go too far into either of those decades when we were trying to sort of come up with what did we what excited us about the project. So that was, I think, that's why the 80s is because it was exciting to us as designers and as a sort of period of history to be like, yeah, let's fight the man and we're going to take him out. <laughs> so to dovetail off that a little bit, do you think that the 80s are going to have the same resonance for somebody that comes to this product that is a little bit younger, that maybe didn't come into the hobby at the same time that at least I, I agree, I was part of that same wave that was really you know hitting in the 80s when I was getting interested in role-playing games and noticing genre fiction and things of that nature. So do you think this is going to have the same resonance for people that maybe are a little bit younger that are just now getting into things? Uh, I hope so. And also, I think the whole... Yeah, the whole fact that there are now all these movies that are based on that stuff, it at least informs people, you know, from that level, right? We're still recreating the culture of the 80s. <laughs> so sorry, kids, but you're going to be stuck with it for a little while. And then, you know, <laughs> then we'll get really old and we won't have it anymore. And you'll have your stuff and you'll be like, yeah, remember that? And we'll, we'll be like, no, we don't. But cool. But I also think it, 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 it resonates well. It's It's kind of universal in theme. It's similar to how spirit of the century was the 20s and 30s and we you know the connection to that is pretty slim but you know as gamers as people who are fans of pop culture right we can go back and read those things and discover them and go yeah this is cool let's go do that <laughs> and i think that is uh that's how it can resonate with today or at least i hope so and plus everything's everything's on you know streaming so people can always go watch the old <laughs> shows as well i was gonna say there there's a long list of kurt russell movies to offer as up as inspiration in the back of the book so <laughs> If you're not familiar with it, then. But also, I think that, uh, you know, if you look at the big enemies in Shadow of the Century, it's like, um, you know, secretive governments doing stuff that the people might not like. It's greedy corporations, you know, stealing from people. And oppressive governments and greedy corporations are not going anywhere, unfortunately. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't, when you read, to, for me anyway, reading like what the, uh, the shadows are, which is like the names for the, the big bads in the setting, uh, they don't seem necessarily just an eighties thing. They, those, that stuff is still with us. And I think that it's fun to, you know, I, it's easy to despair about the current state of things, whatever it is, but it's fun to project back 30 years and go like, yes, let's be heroes back then and fight these problems back then in a colorful, you know, over the top neon way. And, um, that's something that I think, it's it's both escape and release in a way. Yeah, it does seem like a lot of tropes that have carried through into the modern era of storytelling either were defined or were redefined in the 80s. Like one of the things that I thought of just reading through this is one of my favorite villains of all time is Lex Luthor. And the 80s is when Lex Luthor got redefined as evil businessman, not just mad scientist. Right. And that's a thing that's carried forward. It didn't end after the 80s. That's a thing that resonates with who Lex Luthor is. And now he's president. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> All right, let's, let's just stick to the fiction. <laughs> I am. That's that's in DC, Mike. <laughs> no, I know, but it's too close to home. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for sure. I think that, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say, too, my son, well, I also, but watch Teen Titans Go. And, and, and Teen Titans Go is a, uh, if you like Teen Titans, you might not, not like Teen Titans Go, but <laughs> it's a very fun, like, funny, no, like, self-aware knowing kids cartoon but cyborg in that cartoon is a huge 80s fan and they constantly go back to the well on 80s stuff they reference there's a whole episode and just they go back in time to see what the 80s were like and they just constantly reference 80s stuff 
And uh, I don't feel like any of that's flying over my nine-year-old's head. Like, I think that even he is, like, getting that, and he has a mm-hmm. sense of it. And, you know, and then when we go back and watch Goonies or something with him, like, he recognizes a bunch of references from that movie from Teen Titans Go! or, or something else he's watched. Right. So, yeah, I, I think uh, it's not just that the thematic stuff is carried over from the 80s. I think that there's a lot of tropes in our fiction that got established and that we, we keep going back to. Well, I think, I mean, honestly, since that is kind of the era in which the summer blockbuster kind of was given birth, that I think that is the idea that all of this, this is when everyone went to go see this one big movie and the things that were established in those big movies at that time period have kind of carried forward. Yeah. And they're, again, they're always available to stream or just to have. (laughs) So it's real easy to, if you want to do the research, you can just go back and do the research. It's fun research. Yeah. (laughs) You got to get really in the weeds to get at the real obscure stuff, but that was that was fun to do for the book. So. I don't work on anything if the research isn't fun. You know, like <laughs> why am I doing it if it's not fun to immerse myself in it? Yeah. So here's another question for you: If you were to pick another time period that was not the original time period and was not the '80s for a related um, Centurions era to develop, what would it be? And let's start with Mike. Uh, I think because I've run a game of, uh, I have a a scenario that I run for Atomic Robo of Nikola Tesla and his Centurions of Science in the 1890s. I kind of want to say the 1890s (laughs) because that's a very fun, like weird mashup of people that you can put together there. I mean, as uh, Atomic Robo shows. So probably the 18, if otherwise I probably want to go ahead into the future, but I think the 1890s, that seems like a fun time. All right. Morgan, do you have a decade that you think would work for a different version of a Centurion product? I do. I think I'm going to go with um, sort of the post-war, maybe World War II, but definitely the 50s, 60s. I think the 60s sort of super spy and just sort of the new, just the new characters and genre that came out of action movies that were starting in the 60s. I think those would be fun. And um, that that also kind of, it, it bridges the gap a little bit between Spirit of the Century and Shadow of the Century because we kind of had the idea of like, well, what about those older heroes who were kind of fighting in the war and doing all that stuff? What did they get up to? Or what are they up to now in the 80s? Because they wouldn't be that old, right? Oh, yeah. So I think that would be the fun, right? Sort of the, and also the sort of uh, style of the 60s and 50s, right? The James Bond style would be fun. The, that sort of uh, Futura, mid-century modern, I think would be a cool aesthetic to mm-hmm. contrast with the Pulps of Spirit and the neon and lasers of the uh, Oh, it's 117. Yes. <laughs> I just want that game. So obviously, Shadows of the Century has a ton of 80s tropes in it. Is there any specific 80s trope that you wanted to avoid when you were putting together this product that was just something that you didn't necessarily want to dwell on or promote? And let's go with Morgan first on this one. Uh, Yeah, there was, right? I mean, if you look back at the shows, mostly it's white guys and that was something that we just wanted to get away from and let's diversify and let's, let's get other people involved in this fun action and fighting the man. Cause yeah, they were there and they're, it's fun to have them be able to play in that. Also, I think there was a little bit of a push away from, you know, there were several shows and, and uh, cartoons, especially where it was, it's in the future or on another planet or in some weird space. So, but we really, I think, tried to keep it very much, it's in the 80s, it's now, and the now is 1984. 
right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like, yeah, you, and then you're off on a distant planet and you're doing weird stuff. Even though that would fit as a genre thing, it was like, let's keep it in the 80s and let's keep it on Earth. Mm-hmm. Mike, is there any specific 80s tropes that you wanted to avoid when you were working on this? Well, I think that the thing about diversity is very, I think that's the big one about, it's, I struggled when putting together a scenario for, for Shadow of the Century that I ran uh, last month at a convention. I struggle with not making it a TV show. Like, even though I want to imitate TV shows from the 80s, I kept having to pull back from like, no, this isn't, this isn't actually a TV show. <laughs> and like the things that would have worked to make it like the perfect 80s seeming TV show weren't always the things that are really reflective of the book that's written. And a large, a large part of that was the diversity. It can't just be a bunch of white guys and one girl to you know fill that role like it it can't it can't just be that that same thing over and over and if and uh, if there are you know people of color they can't just be like this lone representative of their culture and be like a stereotype of that and even though that might be like a very appropriate 80s not appropriate but it might be very reflective of media at the time like you don't want to actually do that because that is offensive <laughs> and also not wanting to set things just a little bit in the future i had to keep saying no, it's 1984. It's not, you know, 2032 or something. We got to <laughs> keep it here. But yeah, that I I really like that there is a bit in the book about we realize the 80s were very whitewashed. That's not what this game is. And, you know, those people might not have been represented in the media at the time, unfortunately, but there's no reason that this game can't be inclusive. I said those people. That sounds terrible, but you know what I'm saying. But the but the game sh- itself should be should be inclusive. I'm really glad that that, that bit's in there and that we've left that particular trope of those, those stereotypes and things in the past. Yeah, definitely. The The diversity is definitely noticed, especially like the sidebars. I, I noticed that, but even like through the artwork and everything else that's presented in the product, it definitely reinforces this idea that this is not just what you saw in the 80s. It's what could have been there if we were better. Yeah. Right, right. I like it's, it's the idea that like, let's say that this sort of, not wacky, but like, a heightened version of the 80s with super science and who knows what else happening that we see in movies and TV shows from the time. Let's say all that stuff is there, but then what was the world actually like? Mm-hmm. You know, like let's let's bring that down to the actual what life would have been like or what the world would have been like. What kind of heroes would have risen up from the real world if those things, if all the other things held true from those shows? Right. And uh, I think that's a key, a subtle difference, but a very, very important one. So from a purely mechanical standpoint, if you were going to take something that was introduced in Shadow of the Century and use it in other Fate games, what would it be? And let's see, uh, Mike, what would you take and port into other Fate games? Uh, That's easy. Uh, Roles. The way skills work in Shadow of the Century, you pick three roles. There are 16 roles, and each one of them is like kind of an iconic or archetype of uh, of an 80s character like brain face ninja hacker there's a bunch of them and when you pick a role it comes with four skills and after you pick all your three roles if a skill appears in a role then you get plus one with that skill and if it appears in all three roles you get plus three with it and then you have some more points to spend to improve skills beyond that but it's such a it's a much more elegant refinement of modes from atomic robo and uh, I, i like it a lot Morgan, do you have something that you would take from uh, Shadow and port it to other fake games? 
Yeah, I think uh, montages are fun, right? I mean, you know, you get to do an 80s montage, and that's always fun. <laughs> like in the, uh, I actually played in the game that, uh, one of the games that Mike ran of the uh, Shadow of the Century at that con a month ago. And yeah, we got to do a montage and get to have all our cool little moments in that montage. And then it adds up to something mechanical. And that's just a cool, fun thing to use in other things. But roles are also kind of the distillation of a lot of the ideas that uh, we came with originally and also modes from Atomic Robo. And those are very cool. Mm-hmm. You know, to uh, touch on the the roles bit, I know when uh, I ran a lot of Fate last year and I did kind of gravitate towards a lot of times you can do so many things with Fate and they're, it's such a powerful toolkit, but there are times when people just don't have a strong grasp of where they want to start mm-hmm. and having something like the roles, things like, you know, like from uh, Dresden Accelerated, where you have a starting point where you can pick this and then expand out from that seem to really help a lot of the people that I was introducing to fate. Yeah. It's always good to have, you know, definitions are always good. If you give people a blank canvas, they're just going to, they're not going to be able to grasp something, right? Whereas if you say, these are your limits, they can say, ah, I can bump up against those or I can see where they're at. So that's always nice. Yeah. Just pick three of these things that are true about your character. Three of these nouns that, would apply to your character and it's really easy to throw those together and then make decisions after that and then i guess something that spins out of roles is your stunts that every role has six stunts and you're supposed to pick three stunts from among those provided by your roles so you'll have a selection of 18 stunts and then you'll pick three you don't not like not that you can't make up stunts if you want but you can see that it was designed for you to be able to like pick three things, then pick these three things and then move on with your life and actually play the game. Which is always good. Oh yeah, definitely. So I think in order to avoid me getting thrown into the stew, I'm going to try and keep this at a reasonable amount of time. So let's look at a final question and no, keep going. <laughs> so let me just throw this very, very important question out. And I think I'll throw this to Morgan first. What does Jack Burton say at a time like this? <laughs> uh, Jack Burton. Well, Jack Burton always says we really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't we, Mike? Uh, I love it when a plan comes together. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not. And that's why I was brought on. <laughs> <laughs> well. I would just like to uh, thank Morgan and Mike for both being on the show. It was great getting a chance to uh, talk to you about Shadow of the Century. I had a really great time reading through it and doing the review of it, so I'm really glad I had a chance to talk to both of you about the product. Do you have any last words you want to share about the uh, product? Uh, You should play it. Yeah, that's always good. (laughs) Like, you read it, but you should play it. (laughs) Definitely planning on trying to get some some time at the table with it. Uh, Just keep it fun and keep it 80s, right? It's just, you can't go wrong. It's... Just go nuts with it. There is a lot of good advice, GM advice, and you know, a really good distillation of what were the 80s, like if you're, we were saying before, what if you're not from the 80s, but there's a great section on what the 80s were like. And uh, I think that if you look at the cover and you flip through the interior and you like the mechanics or you like the iconic characters represented there, but you're not 100% in the 80s, that's okay. The book will meet you halfway. It has a, has a great treatment of all that stuff. That's definitely something that I have noticed as I've reviewed products that maybe um, were set in different time periods or in places that I have not been before. It's really interesting to read those things even separate from the game that they are a part of as a source book of that time period or that place. And 
one of the things that I've noticed is even growing up in the 80s, there are times when it's like, what was that like again? And that touchstone of going back there and going, oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't even have that until the 90s. That wasn't even a thing. So it really is interesting to revisit those things when you read the source material like that. Actually, uh, yeah, one more thing I want to say is uh, go gonzo, right? There's an in-setting thing called the gonzometer, and you're able to set your action and your sort of weirdness level of the reality anywhere you'd like to be. So if you want Auto Man to show up and be with Manimal and Jack Burton, it's possible. If you want a, a robot car, if you want a magic watch that does, you know, allows you to time travel, it's there. That whole idea of the gonzo hero and the reality shifting and altering so that you can have these characters who are really super powerful and still be part of the team. I really, that was a fun part of the game. And I really like that. And Rob Donahue came up with the variable hyperspatial simultaneity. Did I get that word right? I hope I did. Yes. The VHS. That, that is one of the best acronyms I have ever read in a gaming product. I definitely appreciated that one. But it, <laughs> it makes sense. It actually makes sense. It's not just an arbitrary <laughs> acronym that looks good. Like it, it actually makes sense. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, Rob came up with that and we're like, yep, now we've got it. Now we've got the game. <laughs> That that is the final the final stroke that made everything fall into place. Uh, That's it, great. It really did. So um, I just again I want to thank both of you for being on the Gnomecast. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedules to come here and talk about this product. And I really look forward to seeing products from uh, both of you in the future. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. Hi everyone, Rob the editor here. This show is funded by Gnome Stew Patreon patrons like the astounding Anthony Macaronis the jaunty GM Gerrymander, and the superb Sam Gorton. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. If you're enjoying the Gnomecast, you'll probably like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows. Here's one to check out. She's a Super Geek. She's a Super Geek is an actual play RPG podcast highlighting women as GMs. Join them every other Tuesday for lots of different RPGs and guests. This ad brought to you by the Beneficent Chapeau. Pleased to announce their new RPG, Light of the Millennium. What's this? Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I've just been informed that the Beneficent Chapeau is no longer sponsoring this episode. I'm not sure what happened there. We'd like to thank Jared for hosting this episode of Gnomecast. You can follow Jared at knighterrant underscore jr on Twitter. We'd also like to thank our guests, Mike Olson and Morgan Ellis. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Devlin1, D-E-V-L-I-N, and the number one on Twitter. And you can follow Morgan at MC underscore Ellis on Twitter. You can keep up with all the gnomes at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. On behalf of head gnomes John Arcadian and Angela Murray, I declare this interview good enough to keep everyone involved out of the stew. Thanks for listening. Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. All right. And hey, Rob, I'm, I'm talking to my editor. I'm about to stop the recording now. Thank you.